questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. All of us today dwell in uncertain places. Realities in which thoughts make things happen. ESP is provable by the scientific methods once used to debunk it. UFOs are mainstream, and magic no longer requires rite and ritual, but is as near as your own mind. Tonight's special guest is a leading voice of esotericism and the occult. We will explore topics that evoke widespread misunderstanding, including the real history of secret societies, the wisdom of the satanic, the relevance of Gnosticism, and the slender but authentic connection between today's spiritual culture and antiquity, including in areas of hermeticism, deity worship, out-of-body experience, and magic. He demonstrates the occult roots of wide-ranging facets of modern culture, including abstract art, mind-body healing, self-help, and breakthrough scientific fields such as quantum physics and neuroplasticity. He looks at the influence of the founding lights of modern occultism, including mystic Neville Goddard, occult scholar Manly P. Hall and surrealist filmmaker David Lynch and provides a magnificent takedown of famous debunkers and pseudo-skeptics such as the amazing Randy. He explores magical practices including anarchic magic, mind metaphysics, the law of attraction and the history of Ouija boards and questions time-honored spiritual values like forgiveness. He will also share with us what it is like to be blacklisted. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening... Welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Mitch Horowitz is a Penn Award-winning historian and widely known voice of esoteric ideas with bylines in the New York Times, Time, Politico, and the Wall Street Journal. He's the author of many books, including Occult America, One Simple Idea, Daydream Believer, and the Miracle Club. The Chinese government has censored his work. The new book is titled Uncertain Places, Essays on Occult and Outsider Experiences. His Twitter account is at Mitch Horowitz and his Instagram at Mitch Horowitz 23. And directly from the city that never sleeps, New York City, Mitch Horowitz is back with us on Veritas. Hello, Mitch, and welcome back. Uh, I'm the resident who never sleeps. Good to be here, Mel. <laughs> Likewise. Before we begin, I have to ask you this. Why are you censored in China, Mitch? Well, I wrote a book in 2014 called One Simple Idea, and it is a history of the positive thinking movement. And it was licensed uh, for translation into Mandarin by a Chinese publisher based in Shanghai. And I had a lot of really wonderful Skype sessions with the translator. We had a terrific back and forth. 
She was making a really earnest effort to get a handle on certain American metaphysical concepts, religious concepts, which are very unknown within a culture that is uh, considered officially atheistic, at least according to the policy of the Communist Party. And everything was great. And then at the end of the process, the publisher, as is usual, had to submit the book to basically the Chinese government office of censorship for approval. And they cut 38 percent of it. Every reference to a metaphysical concept, a spiritual concept was X'd out of the book. Those things are considered verboten uh, by the party. And I've never been published in China since, although I have been published, I'm happy to say, in Taiwan and Korea. But in China, my work is considered outside the parameters of permissible thought. Does it have anything to do with the Falun Gong and spirituality? And maybe they put a connection there? Not necessarily. There, Even within uh, movies, for example, there are very strict parameters on what you can explore. Anything that deals with the extra physical is considered to be in contradiction to the materialist outlook of the Communist Party, which sees uh, human events as a result of economic and social forces, uh, does not uh, believe that uh, teaching about, exploring, using language that's connected to spirituality or religions, even if it's non-affiliated, is acceptable. And hence, they came down on the book. God is the state. God is your leader. Well, same as North Korea, I believe. But why do you, let me just get into the, the topic at hand here. Why do you think that metaphysics and modernist thought have never fully gotten along? It's a good segue. The basic premise of modernist thought is that there exists unknown but detectable antecedents behind events. So, for example, in matters of psychology, this might be hidden trauma or sexual repression, apropos of the work of Freud. In economics, this might be unseen economic uh, clashes or forces in terms of Marx. In the sciences, Louis Pasteur, it's germs. Einstein, it's relativity. Psychology, it's self-image with reference to William James. And Darwin, it's an orderly biologic evolution of life and so on and so forth. And to a very great extent, the shapers, the movers and shakers of modernist philosophy, especially in the 19th century, tended to regard religion as something that kept the veil over our eyes. But in fact, I think that we can search for first causes in the extra-physical, and we almost have to, given the last 80 or 90 years of data that's come out of quantum mechanics, for example, not to mention uh, the study of neuroplasticity, which demonstrates how uh, what we call thoughts actually alter our brain matter, uh, placebo studies, academic psychical research, and so on and so forth. All the founders of world-class science in the 20th century, that is to say the founders of quantum mechanics, were what might be called philosophical idealists. They believed in the perceptual nature of reality. So there's no necessary clash between modernist philosophy and spirituality, but because of the primacy of materialist philosophy, which holds that matter creates itself and that all of life results from chemical or cognitive processes, that thought is nothing but a simple epiphenomenon of the brain, Uh, the spiritual has remained something 
outside the fold of the modernist worldview. But that's just a construct, and it's not really necessary. And part of the reason I assembled the essays in uncertain places was to try to redress that situation. You know, I've heard that neuroplasticity is being used mostly in response to learning or, you know, experiences or, or following the injury. But, you know, folks, it's the ability of the brain to form and reorganize synaptic connections. And I don't know if you've heard this, but this cup, this uh, two young scientists in, in Silicon Valley, I believe they've been working on this technology where they, for example, they get a, a, a pianist, a, a virtuoso, a musician, and they pluck you know, the electrodes in their head, and they record the signatures. And then they bring somebody who says he wants to play the piano. They plug it in, they transfer, and it's like they, they, it's not like they're transferring consciousness. They're transferring something where the new person learns the piano much faster, a pilot, a, a, a race car driver. Have you heard that? I have not heard about that, but it's it's not surprising because neuroplasticity, relatively speaking, is a, a young field. It's maybe a generation old, and it has been used to treat people suffering from addictions, people experiencing PTSD, people experiencing OCD who are suffering with repeat ritualistic behaviors. And in short, what researchers have found is that if you can redirect your thoughts among more desirable lines and do this in a sustained way, which probably also enjoys engaging in some kind of uh, recreational or enjoyable or desirable activity to help you redirect your thoughts, in time, the neural pathways through which electrical impulses travel in your brain actually alter. And the gray matter of the brain is altered at the cellular level from what we call thought, which we don't really have a very good definition of because the materialist definition of thought, again, holds that it's it's an epiphenomenon of the brain. It's like bubbles in a carbonated glass of water. And when the water is gone, the bubbles are gone. But in this case, we find the use of a kind of directed mental effort actually has a biologic effect at the brain level. The founder of the field, or one of the key founders, Jeffrey M. Schwartz, who's a research psychiatrist at UCLA, describes it quite literally as mind over matter. The implications are stunning. The, the data is not controversial. The data is widely accepted. But the precipice that we have yet to cross is one of the implications. Do you think substances like magic mushrooms, psilocybin, will assist with this in the future? We seem to see this happening just like uh, uh, marijuana uh, and, and, you know, uh, cannabis is being accepted more widely throughout the nation. Do you think this might be opening up for this? I, I think it's a very rich area of experiment. I think it's very important. We need accelerants. You know, we, we, we live under terrible stressors. Perhaps every generation has. But... There is an eagerness on the part of the public. There's an eagerness on the part of the individuals, certainly something I feel myself, to find accelerants. And I think there's research that demonstrates that when dealing with addiction, when dealing with PTSD, we have accelerants. Uh, entheogenic or psychedelic substances may be one of those. Cannabis may be one of those. Uh, certain forms of meditation, certainly transcendental meditation is one of those. So I think the search for accelerants is really important in our time. 
one might say we're products of our environment and our experiences is what shape us. What happened to you in Belize about 20 years ago? Oh, I visited the nation of Belize twice. I really love Belize. It's, uh, of course, a a Latin American nation on the Pacific. Beautiful, beautiful country. Uh, English is is the most widely spoken language there, although Spanish is, of course, also spoken. And I was in Belize uh, some years ago, and um, uh, my travel companion and I were headed up to an eco-resort way up in the highlands. And we were bouncing on this unpaved dirt road, stretching up a mountain. And the cab driver began to say to us, uh, as soon as he dropped us off at this jungle lodge that we were visiting, he was going to just make a sharp turn right out of there and be gone. And I said, why? What's the rush? And he said, well, there are these little men Alushas who occupy the hills, you know, in Ireland, they might call them leprechauns. Somewhere else, they might call them fairies. There's a different term in uh, the nations of West and Central Africa. And I thought he was just trying to play scare the tourist. Um, The next day, we were canoeing down this uh, very quiet, snaking river that was going through, um, passing between these ravines. It was a narrow river. And I began to say how I didn't like that cabbie trying to scare us yesterday. And I started talking about this. And then suddenly, in the dead quiet from out of nowhere, this boulder came crashing down the hill and landed uh, in the water, maybe about 12 feet in front of us. And uh, one of the tenets of belief is that if you talk about the Alushas or the little people, they come around and they could do mischief. And so I thought to myself, well, I better button my lip. I'm... uh, I'm a guest here and I need to respect local custom and outlook. And a lot of people in the nation, uh, very forthright, very together, very canny, you know, spoke to me and shared stories about these little men who were said to occupy the hills. And I got interested in it because every culture throughout human history, including to the present day, from Polynesia to Siberia, literally, has these uh, tenets of folklore. And I believe in treading very gently around folklore. Is it in Belize or somewhere else that you you mention? They call them the others to avoid any any conflict with them. Say again, please. I lost you there. Yes, uh, I believe you said something. I'm not sure if it was in Belize or somewhere else where you have to call them the others. Not oh with the yeah, that's that's in Ireland. They refer to people won't walk around using words like fairies or leprechauns very often. At least the people with traditional beliefs. The people with traditional beliefs refer to the other crowd. That's their euphemism, the other crowd, because the feeling is, again, that if you talk about them, they'll come around and do mischief. And a friend of mine, a folklorist named Eddie Lenihan, actually succeeded in getting a planned highway rerouted in County Clare because the construction plans required the highway to bulldoze what was known as a fairy bush, which is supposed to be a domain of the other crowd or the little people. And Eddie felt that this would result in traffic accidents or other tragedies or mishaps. And uh, there were enough people who agreed with him so that local authorities did agree to route the highway around the fairy bush. And it still stands. (laughs) That's interesting. Has science ever, because I know we live in a materialist world where, and we'll discuss this later, we need to see things on radar. We need to see tangible evidence. But when it comes to fairies, when it comes to to all these creatures, has science ever studied this at all? That's a good question. I I, I would say probably not. There's lots of testimony 
And I, I take testimony very seriously. Uh, a critic would say I'm talking about anecdote, but the difference between anecdote and testimony is usually a person's belief system. And when you amass testimony over many, many years, it does become a record. We use testimony all the time. Uh, we use it in medicine. We use it in therapy. There are drugs, the efficacy of which we don't really fully understand, sometimes psychopharmacological drugs, sometimes drugs that abet pain resistance. And we use the testimony of the patient to decide whether the treatment is effective. So I take testimony very seriously um, in matters of, uh, of all walks of life. Mitch, when I started this program almost 15 years ago, when the topic of UFOs and extraterrestrials was still ridiculed, but there are some of us who knew it was only a matter of time before this topic was taken. It's going to be taken seriously. In 2019, you attended an event at the Guggenheim Museum in New York City, a venue not considered, you know, a, a place for occult passions. <laughs> it hosted a panel on UFOs and extraterrestrials. One of the participants was our friend, philosopher and historian, Dr. Diana Pasolka. And at one point, the curator asked you, at one point, at what point do you think it is going to become intellectually embarrassing within our culture not to make seriously the question of the of UFOs? Mitch, I'm interested yeah. in your answer and also the motivation for such an event to have taken place at such a non-traditional venue for the topic being discussed. Well, it was interesting. The curator and the organizer of that event uh, is a man named Troy Therian. And uh, Troy is no longer with the Guggenheim, but he had curated a hugely successful and popular exhibit there that featured the paintings of Hilma Afklimpt, who was a theosophist and was inspired by the occult cosmology of Madame H.P. Blavatsky, the founder of that movement, the co-founder of that movement in the late 19th century. And that probably gave Troy, who's a brilliant curator, some degree of clout within the institution. It was a huge uh, critical and public success. And he assembled a panel, as you referenced, uh, in late summer of 2019 to discuss the UFO question. And he approached me afterwards and he asked the question that you just uh, repeated. When do you think it's going to become intellectually embarrassing in our culture not to take the UFO thesis seriously? And I, I stopped and I thought for a moment and I said, you know, honestly, right now, right now, with uh, articles uh, featuring uh, high-def a video from Navy cockpits, uh, radar images that appeared in, starting in 2017 in the New York Times uh, by Leslie Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal, and Helene Cooper. Um, and these things continuing, these articles continuing uh, for a couple of years, and uh, the panel being held at the Guggenheim to a standing room only crowd. You should have seen the auditorium. I mean, you couldn't pack another soul in there without the fire marshal visiting. And I realized that we had hit a point where the UFO question has gone mainstream. No serious person in our culture can just wave this stuff off as oh, swamp gas, little green men. You're imagining things. You're drinking. You're delusional. You know, clearly there's some kind of engineered phenomena that we're unable to understand. And this question is, it, it, it's not only mainstream at this point, but it's going like a freight train. The news, I believe, is going to keep coming uh, to the extent that the past prophecies the future. We're going to see a continued unfoldment of this question, continued evidence, and obviously continued debate. But 
I couldn't have imagined mm, five years ago the extent to which this would go mainstream. I don't think there's any anyone of any real serious <clears throat> intellectual gravity in our culture, any journalist of really serious credentials who would feel at ease just dismissing this as a bunch of fairy. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, Proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at VeritasRadio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at VeritasRadio.com.